Well, I had shared earlier this year that I spent my first year in college at Northern Illinois University. I was there on a scholarship from the Air Force with plans to go into the military, to have a military career, and I was living a good Christian life. I, I even brought college students with me to church, but as I really began to examine my life and was honest with myself and honest with God, I, I realized I was living for myself. And so I began to examine and, and try to understand what it really meant to live for God. If you were to examine your life, could you say that you are living for God? The passage we're going to get into today will help you evaluate if you're living for God or if you're living for yourself. In John chapter 14, in the verses that we're going to look at today, here's what we're going to find. To live for God is to follow Jesus the way Believe in Jesus, the truth, and surrender to Jesus, the life. So I'm going to invite you to read these verses along with me today. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Man, I want you to have God's Word. If you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, you're welcome to take one underneath the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take that home as, as a gift from the church. So we're going to look at John chapter 14 and read verses 1 through 7. I'm going to also invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, not because we worship the Word, but we revere it. May we never take for granted that God gave us His Word, that we can live in it. So John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Um, I'll read in Zulu, and then I'll read in English. Johanna 14, verse 1 to 7. In Ekayalga baba gukona izindrezi ning. Uma begunga njalo, mengiya gunichela ugutingiya ugunilungselela indau. Nanga nginilungselela indau. Mobu yangi zengi nibuiselegim. Uguba lapongi kona, nibe kona nan. Nalapongi ya kona, niayazi injel. Utoma siwati guye, ngos, asazi lapo uyakon. Siyazi ganja ni injela na. Uye suwati guye. Meaning angel and a trinis on a gupil. Agaco ozagubab and a pantheguam. Uma bening as a mini, beneagumaz in a bab. Gusugelan manje near maz, nimbonil. John fourteen, verse one to seven. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God and believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If, there were, if that was not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So that way I am, you will also be. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From, no, from now onwards, you do know me, you do know him, and have seen him. Philip said, okay, sorry, that was the last verse. You may be seated this morning. Isn't it wonderful we have someone that can speak Zulu? Thank you, Tembi. So to live for God is to follow Jesus the way. Jesus is the way, and he takes believers to the Father's house. 
You know, Jesus was a master teacher who was very skilled in the use of visual aids and word pictures. It was second nature for him to hearken back to the carpenter's shop and to contrast a fleck of sawdust with a roof rafter. You know, a speck and a plank, that's what he's referring to. He was at home with outdoor references because of his rural upbringing, with the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and references with the gold of the temple and whitewashed tombs in Jerusalem. Jesus was good at this. So when Jesus refers to life and eternity being like children who will have our own private rooms inside the family home overseen by our Heavenly Father, does he have a picture in mind? He does. Years ago, archaeologists began to discover a very unique style of private dwelling that's come to be referred to simply as an insula. I've talked about this a little bit in a sermon a couple of months ago. This style of home appears to have had its start in places like Rome and Pompeii, but eventually it was adopted in Israel and all throughout the Roman world. They've been discovered in places like Samaria, Capernaum, Arbel, and in the Negev. The insula consisted of central courtyards with rooms on all sides, living rooms and other rooms. In Jesus' hometown of Capernaum, and I need to explain, some people don't catch that, you know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, But when he started his ministries, he launched out from Capernaum, so he was there for three years. So for where Jesus was at there, there was small house rooms in insula fashion surrounding large courtyards. This is what the picture is behind me. This gives you a picture of what that would have looked like. When the need arose, the insula was gradually enlarged by adding more and more buildings to the compound. The courtyard still dominated the domestic space, but multiple rooms were added over the years to the courtyard until the floor space of the rooms was more than the space of the courtyard. Each family would have lived in a single room. I think I've joked before that Shelly likes this. She likes to have her kids close. You know, there are those parents that lock the door at night and tell the kids, good luck. Um, Shelly likes to have her babies close. Uh, we would, you know, travel and, and speak and all be in one hotel room at night, and Shelly loved that. She knew where those kids were. This is this kind of living. And, you know, perhaps other relatives live there as well. This architectural style was typical for most of the houses in first century Capernaum. Authorities have estimated the home of Peter. You know, Capernaum was the hometown of Peter, and they've located what they think to be his house there. It consisted of at least 15 rooms and could accommodate at least 100 people. That was Peter's house. He had a big house. The insula wasn't fancy. It provided shelter for the common people of the day, but it was home. It represented the close-knit, supportive, loving, extended families that ate, worked, played, and worshipped together. In this respect, it served as the ideal picture of heaven that Jesus sought to convey, an ongoing, eternal, favorite family reunion ever kind of feel. It's fun to see pictures of of, uh, the deer family. Well, it wasn't really the deers, but they had their large family reunion. It was fun to see pictures of that. This is what Jesus is talking about here. It recalled the times when mom, dad, all the grandparents, brothers, sisters, all their husbands and wives and children, uncles and aunts and cousins, they were all together and everything was right in the world. But here's what Jesus is communicating with this word picture. He's saying heaven is an intact, nurturing, loving, joyous, supportive family living together in the presence of its head. Our loving Father. That's heaven. You know, Shelley and I have often been asked why we would be willing to live apart from family. 
especially when we were living overseas. And I can tell you, this word picture is the reason why. We'll have eternity to spend with our parents and siblings and nieces and nephews, thankfully because they all follow Jesus. We're very blessed that way with our, our family relatives. So we know there will come a day where we'll have lots of time and courtyards with them. But today is not that day. We know four and a half billion people don't have this picture for eternity. And so we have to do something about that. Six out of ten homes in our area will not enjoy this heavenly home unless we tell them. Shelly and I found we can count all things as loss. Even time with a great family here on earth because Jesus is our delight and we are driven that we can see others know Jesus is their delight as well. Are you leading people to Jesus so that he can show them the way to the Father's house? I encourage you, lead others to Jesus for he is the way to God the Father. When your co-workers facing a difficult time, take time to pray with them. Help a neighbor with some yard work and ask them about their relationship with God. We get so stressed about talking about God. You know, we, the rule is don't talk about God in politics. We really can talk about God. If God is so much a part of who you are, if you're living the word, it will spill out of you. May you have those conversations with your neighbor. Here's something I've learned. If you look at the example of Jesus, he made himself dependent upon others. Think about Jesus at, at the Samaritan well. He asked this woman for water. So what I've had to learn as a super independent person, a do-it-yourself, I don't need you, I'm going to get it done by myself. Do we have any of those in this room? Confession time. I know that they're here. But what you need to learn is you can ask your neighbor for help and have Jesus conversations in the midst of that. It's powerful when you do it. Living for God is following Jesus the way and leading others to him. And to live for God is to believe in Jesus, the truth. Jesus is the truth, and his word is truth. And we can find him in the pages of this book and receive comfort and strength for the journey. A mature follower of Jesus spends time daily reading the word and meditating on its truths. And in this way, he draws near to the Father's heart, and he's strengthened. When you read the Apostle Paul's letters and sermons and acts, you find him frequently alluding to Scripture and quoting Scripture because he was a person saturated in the Word of God. And I believe this is one of the secrets of his endurance and those many times of stress and danger that he encountered. He writes the believers in Rome. This is what he shares with them. He says, Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us, and the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises be fulfilled. What a promise we have in God's word. The word believed and received provides teaching that brings encouragement, endurance, and hope. I want to say that again. The word believed and received provides teaching that brings encouragement, endurance, and hope. If you're lacking encouragement, if you're lacking endurance, if you're lacking in hope, you need to get back to the Word. At the beginning of the book of John, here's what we find. It says, So the Word became human and made His home among us. It's powerful. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. God didn't give us His Word so we could explain it to others. 
but to experience it ourselves and live it so that others could see Jesus, the word. I'm going to say that again. God did not give us the word so we could explain it. We don't need to explain God's word. We need to be able to experience it and live it so that people can see Jesus. Do your work colleagues see Jesus in you? Do your family and friends see Jesus when they look at you, when they see how you live? Journeying with Jesus is a lifetime, and it takes effort. To reflect Jesus, you must be in his word. If you're not in the habit of reading the Bible, start tomorrow. Read a chapter a day and see how that changes your day. Start in Matthew. Read through the New Testament. You'll spend four books reading all about Jesus. No better place to start. Living for God is spending time with Jesus, the truth, to experience him so that others might see him. And to live for God is to surrender to Jesus, the life. Christianity is not a creed. It's not an organization or a religious system. It is the life of God in humans, making us more like Jesus. John writes in 1 John, he says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. You have Jesus, you have life. You do not have Jesus, you do not have life. In other words, if, if you have Jesus, you are life. And if you don't have him, you are death. Are you serving as life to the world around you? Are you life-giving to your neighbors, family, friends, and work colleagues? Every spiritual deficiency people have is met and overcome when they come to the Father through faith in Jesus. People are lost, but Jesus is the way to the Father's house. People are confused, but Jesus is the truth about the Father. And people are spiritually dead, but Jesus is the life, and he shares it with those who surrender and trust him. We glorify God by revealing Jesus in our walks, our words, and in our works before a watching world. What does the world see when they see you? You know, Psalm 1, we read verse 3. It is such a great picture of someone living this out, of someone living out Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Here's how it's described in verse 1. Blessed is the man, I'll insert, or the woman, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That is following Jesus the way. You're not following wicked counsel. You're following right counsel in Jesus. If you're living as Jesus the truth, going on to verse 2, but his or her delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If you're living as Jesus the truth, you're meditating on his word. And the last one is Jesus the life. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. If you're living as life, you're living like that tree planted that gives life to the world. As you live like this, as you live for God, you have the opportunity to be a disciple maker. You know, the first month or two we were here, as we were here January and February, we would ask if people wanted to make a decision to follow Jesus. There was not one. No one giving their life to Jesus to follow him as the way, the truth, 
and the life. So we really began to commit a lot of time to prayer and fasting, asking Jesus, God, we need to see spiritual breakthrough here. And how many know God answers prayers when you're asking for people to encounter him? He answers those prayers. So what happened? March happened. 54 people made a decision to follow Jesus in March. May we not forget that. You may have known that then, but I'm going to remind you now. 13 people water baptized, two people baptized in the Holy Spirit. So God began to do what he wanted to do. And so I asked the question, so what are we doing to make them into disciples? And so they related. The altar team will call and, and pray with them and ask them if they've got questions. But we weren't doing a whole lot in life on life discipleship, which is what we have modeled in Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us that we're to make disciples. It doesn't tell us to simply make converts. It says, go and make disciples. If we do nothing else as the church, we must do this. We must make disciples. So when I asked and, and found out that we weren't doing a whole lot in the way of life-on-life -life mentoring, I began to look at what Scripture has to say and what Jesus modeled. And here's what we found. Jesus asked the disciples to follow him. He made a practice of being with them. That was what Jesus did. This was the essence of his training program, just letting his disciples do life with him. Jesus had no formal school, no seminaries, no outline course of study, no periodic membership classes in which he enrolled his followers. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. I've been to formal school, to seminary, completed outline courses of study, and I'm teaching the membership class on Sunday evenings. So we do all those things, but here's what we need to understand. That's not discipleship. At best, it's a part of discipleship. Discipleship happens life on life. It just does. All Jesus did is teach these men his way to draw them close to himself. He was his own school and curriculum. And this wasn't necessarily the pattern in the first century. When you look at the first century, Jesus was countercultural even in his day. Because this is in striking contrast to the formal, almost scholastic procedures of the scribes when you look at what they were doing. These religious teachers insisted on their disciples adhering strictly to certain rituals and formulas of knowledge, which distinguished them from others, whereas Jesus asked only his disciples to follow him. Knowledge was not communicated by Jesus in terms of laws and dogmas, but in the living personality of Jesus as he walked among them. And so with this in mind, I started um, without any training for those that decided to be a part, Connection Point Multiply. So what I did is I emailed and asked some of our church members, hey, you've been following Jesus for a while. We've had a lot of people make decisions for Christ. Would you simply walk along with them in life and, and help them to become more like Christ? And people said, yes, we'd love to do that. And it's been amazing to see what God has done through that. You've seen a lot of them water baptized here. If you've been here for those services where Beth baptized Julie and Gina baptized Teresa, these are people that have been walking and doing life together. That's what multiply discipleship is. But I'm going to call them up here in a moment because I want to ask them some questions. But before I do, I want to make sure you understand this. Discipleship is not a program. It's a process and it's people. We get so program geared in the way that we think about things. And in some ways, I hate that I got to put a name on it to label it because then people think program, but I can't talk about it without some name to it. So we put a name to it. But I want you to understand as we look at discipleship, it's a process, it's a people, it's really not a program. So I'm going to go ahead and invite Gina, Teresa, and Julie to come. Could you welcome them this morning as they come up here today? Thanks. <laughs> He's got me in the back. I'm going to use whatever mic I find, right? 
All right, so I want to ask some questions. So Gina, when did you start meeting with uh, Teresa? It was about five and a half months ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, what has it looked like to get together with Teresa? Well, um, it started by responding to the email saying I was willing to do that. And then a couple weeks I had a phone call from the church office giving me contact information for Teresa. And so um, I gave her a phone call and introduced myself. Of course, they had told her that somebody would be contacting her. So we set a time to meet for the first time, and uh, we went to Monocle's Pizza. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I was just trying to think of a place close by, quiet, where we could sit and talk. And so really that time was just, uh, we just talked probably a couple hours and just got to know each other. And um, from there, we set a time to meet again the next week, and we had uh, the discipleship training books so we started into that, and it didn't take long, though, into conversation to realize that um, Teresa was in crisis in her life. And so um, this is a perfect example of not really following a program. It's true. Uh, it is, we needed to address, you know, where she was at. And so we found um, a different book and a different study, Bible study to do together just to address the um, issues that she had going on in her life, so... And what has that looked like for you? How has it changed the way that you follow Jesus? I mean, what does that look like for you? It, it was life-changing, actually. Um, I've never discipled anybody at this level. Um, I've probably more or less been a part of a program, maybe, that was set up as a Bible study or whatever, but really just one-on-one -on -one, uh, discipleship. And I would have to say we get so comfortable in our we get so comfortable with the goodness of God. As, as Christians, we kind of forget that there are broken, hurting people out there as we live a comfortable life. I mean, we have our ups and downs, sure, and our families go through crisis, and we know that there's crisis, but, um, you know, to really be one-on-one -on -one with somebody who's really broken and hurting and to know that I need the help of the Holy Spirit like never before to be able to minister to this person. So I intentionally um, began to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, where it's like just throughout the whole day, you know, we, we texted a lot. Teresa would often text me and, you know, pray for me for this. I'm struggling with this. And so I relied upon the Holy Spirit completely to provide me what it is I'm supposed to help her with. And so um, I, as I was watching just the transforming power of God at work in her life. I mean, literally watching chains of bondage and fear and shame and addiction just breaking off of her life before my very eyes. And just to watch her have um, the word opened up to her. She, she was in church all of her life for the most part, but she said, I never understood the Bible. And um, all of a sudden, the word's alive. She would just read a scripture, and she'd text me, and like, oh my goodness, I get this. It means so much. And so just to watch that uh, come alive in her, and then, you know, just addressing issues, you know, she would say something, I'd be like, oh boy, we got to talk about that. And so I would begin to pray about that, and Holy Spirit, well, what are we going to do? And he's like, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to be uh, talking to her about that this week, you know? So sure enough, we'd get together, and I would just be sitting there kind of holding my breath thinking, okay, this is a really delicate topic, but we've got to, we've got to address this. And so 
Next thing I knew, she'd be just spilling her heart out to me about this thing in her life that she knows isn't right. And I'd just be like, thank you, Jesus. I didn't even have to bring it up because the Holy <laughs> Spirit had already been working Amen. in her life. So it was just amazing. And then the opportunity to get to pray with her, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and just watch that take her to a whole new level. So it's been life-changing yeah, <laughs> in <absolutely>. a nutshell. <laughs> I mean, so in that end, would you encourage others to be a part of that? Absolutely. It's... Um, you know, it's a time commitment, sure. It's some time and energy. Um, Teresa actually even lived with us for six or seven weeks just to get on her feet financially so she could get into a place of her own and stable. Um, and then our whole church family, I organized that for our church family just to come together and provide a house full of furniture. And for the first time in her life, she has a fully furnished home living in a perfectly safe environment, I'd say the first time since she's been on her own in adulthood. Anything else that you'd want to share? Or? So um, it's going to strengthen your walk with the Lord, you know, if you do this, not to mention that it's just downright obedience to his word. Um, and there's a lot of things that we can invest our time and energy into, but we need to just remember what's going to last for eternity. And what you mentioned, people are the only Amen. thing we're going to get to take with us yeah. to eternity. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar to be able to do this. Um, as you alluded to, too, um, you, know, you don't have to try to explain the word. You just have to live it and share it and just be a person along with another person. People are people, and we really do share in the same things. Our stories may look a little different, but at the very core, we're just people. Amen. Thank you, Gina. Uh, so, Teresa, I mean, if you want to explain kind of on your side, then what it has been like for you to be a part of, of Multiply? This has been the most rewarding experience of my life. I mean, to walk into a church, don't know nobody, have no idea where you're going, what you're going to do, and to have somebody step up and say, I'm going to lead you. You're not alone. Was just heartwarming. Great. Um, and what has been the difference as far as the way that you follow Jesus and having somebody walk life and life with you? I have got to honestly say, if it was not for Gina, I would not be in my walk where I'm at right now. Um, to have somebody stand beside you and go through everything step by step. But yet, on top of that, we did so much more than that. I mean, we prayed, she went over things, but she made me realize that there were things inside me that I was terrified to release. I was so scared of what would happen if I released some of these things inside me. You know, would I go to jail? Would I lose family? Would I lose friends? And she made me realize that in order to accept the full experience of what Christ had me for me, I had to release that. And he was going to protect me when I did. And to know that she was there to guide me through all that is just the most heartwarming thing that a person can feel. Anything else that you'd like to share? Or? I just want anybody to know that's sitting out there that... When he does the altar call and says, is there anybody that wants to accept Christ? There are those that are afraid to raise their hands. They don't know what's going to happen next. They're afraid to step in that aisle because they're scared of 
you know, what is somebody going to say? You know, I'm nervous. This is all new for me. I can assure you right now sitting here, I have been in that spot. And they're not going to let you fall. They are not going to let you fall. They are going to be there for you and guide you 100% hand in hand. So I'll share, Teresa was one of those that made a decision for Christ in the month of March. She was one of those 54. So she made that decision for Christ. Uh, what month was it you were water baptized then? Okay, so last month, water baptized by Gina and came forward to be prayed for and baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was just an, it's been incredible to see because someone said, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be your guide the way that the Holy Spirit has just been poured out in Teresa's life and, and led her to the place of just following Jesus with all her heart. Um, we're just, it's encouraging, Teresa. I, I love to see what God's doing there. Uh, and then Julie, I mean, would you like to share a little bit about what it's been like for you to be a part of Multiply? Um, so it's been a great experience so far for me. Um, I started my walk with Jesus in the beginning of the year, and I did not know a lot. And I remember emailing Pastor Zach saying, Pastor Zach, what can I do? How can I get started in, you know, learning the Bible, learning about Jesus? And you actually emailed me right back saying, oh, you know, discipleship, multiply discipleship. And, you know, are you interested? And I said, of course. And um, I got connected with Beth and we met and we just meet once, once a week for like an hour and a half. And we go over one chapter in the book and then we also... Um, just do a, a few chapters in the Bible as well. We went through the whole chapter of Matthew, and we just go over it and just take our time, and any questions that I have, Beth is so great to explain it, and there's been a lot that she's had to explain to me, but <laughs> it's nice having someone that I can go to and ask those questions, and that's going to take the time to explain everything, and it's given me a really great foundation, um, in my faith, I feel like. Coming to church, having that, it's given me a really good foundation. And I really like how the book is simple. It's like a simple read. And Francis Chan, he puts it, you know, practical. It is an easy read. And he asks some really good questions that I think have helped me a lot in my walk. So Julie is paired up with Beth Nagel. The Nagels are out of town this weekend, um, but I still wanted Julie to be able to share kind of her experiences. Uh, so what has it, I mean, you've kind of explained a bit of the difference it's made in your walk with the Lord, but is there any other thoughts you'd like to share with people about Multiply? Um, I think it would be a really good experience for pretty much anybody. Um, even if you've been walking with Jesus for years and years and years, or if you're, you know, a newbie like me, I think that you can get something out of it, definitely. Um, I know Beth has said so many times that she has learned so much in this process and we just, we feel at times so expired by each other. Um, and I just think, I just think it'd be great. I just think it's a really good foundation, and I feel like you can learn a lot from it. But it is a time commitment, but I feel like that shouldn't let you get, let that get in the way. That's great. Can we thank them for being up here this morning? One of the things that's been really encouraging to me is we so often think if, if we're making disciples of others, it's simply us pouring into them. But you really need to understand that when you're committing yourself to make disciples, it's so much more than that. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit begins to speak into you and how you grow in the Lord. 
And like Gina said, it's not like you need some kind of theological education. Honestly, you won't know the answers. You won't have the answers, but we know the one who does. So it then puts you in the place where it drives you to the Word more than you probably were before, and now you're growing in your relationship with Christ. For us to really be who God wants us to be, for us to become more like Christ, there is an understanding that we have to be being poured out. We have to be making disciples of others, and in that way, God grows us to be able to be that person he wants us to be. So I would just encourage you, be a part of Multiply Discipleship. You know, you've heard firsthand this morning from those and the opportunity for Multiply to change lives, and it really does. And I know if you talk with them on Main Street this morning and be able to hear more of their stories, you'll hear so much more in the what God has done in their lives to, to really make a difference and help them become more like him. Here's what you need to understand. The people of the world must have a demonstration of what to believe. They must have a mentor who will stand among them and say, follow me, I know the way. Are you willing to serve in that capacity? That's exactly what Gina has done. She says, follow me, Teresa, I know the way. And as Teresa has done that, it's been incredible to see how her life has been totally turned around. In your programs this morning, I'm going to direct you to that. There was this card, this discipleship card. I'd like you to pull that out. It provides you an opportunity to sign up to be a part of leading new believers to the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't have a pen this morning, they're in the seat back behind you or in front of you. You can grab one of those pens. Because what I'd like for you to do is to take out that card, and I want to challenge everyone to disciple one person a year for the rest of your life. Not even five, but just one. Here's what I want to look at. You know, so often we think about being a disciple maker. We think, well, I'm not an evangelist. I don't really have that gifting. And I would say, good. I don't need you to be that person in your mind. At some point, I'm going to explain to you what an evangelist really is. I don't have time this morning. But in your mind, I know you think, I've got to be this bold personality to go out and share Jesus, but that's really not what disciple making is all about. And let me show you how this works. You know, we, we think about evangelism in this way, but I want to take uh, fictionally some super evangelists, okay? So walk with me in this for a minute. Take a super evangelist, someone with the ability to lead a thousand people to Jesus a day. Wouldn't that be an incredible person? I don't have that capacity. So a thousand people a day. So it would mean that person in a year's time would lead 365,000 people to Jesus. That'd be a lot of people. Okay, now let's look at a disciple maker. Someone committed to making disciples of five people over the course of a year. And he's going to do that into the depth by which those five people have the capacity the next year to make disciples of five more people each. Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? So a super evangelist, 1,000 people a day, disciple maker, five people in a year. Here's the difference. But let's look at what this looks like over the course of 10 years. In year one, the super evangelist, as I've already shared, he's won 365,000 people to Jesus, while the disciple maker has reached six. Okay, it includes himself, herself, because they're going to continue to make disciples. Okay, so by year five now, the super evangelist has reached 1,825,000 people. It's a lot of people. Okay, but now the disciple maker, a meager but impressive 3,750. That would be awesome, right? If you had led 3,000, almost 4,000 people to Christ. But what about 10 years? Let's look at year 10. By year 10, the super evangelist has reached 3 million 650,000 people. That's amazing. But, but the disciple maker, he's reached 11,718,750 
people. Isn't that amazing? This is the plan of God to share the story of Jesus. You don't need to reach a thousand people a day. You need to reach a handful. Make disciples of a handful of people. Commit to that yearly, and it's amazing how God then builds the church. That's his plan. The people of the world, I've said it and I'll say it again, they must have a demonstration of what to believe. They must have a mentor who will stand among them and say, follow me, I know the way. That's what I want to ask if you'd be willing to be that person. So if you've got that card, the question is, the challenge is, everyone disciple one every year. That's what I'm asking of you. Could you disciple one person a year for the rest of your life? For me, that could mean 30, 40, I don't know how long I'll, I'll be around. But could we commit to making that many disciples? That's what I'd like to see if you'd be willing to do. So take that card. You can start to fill out your name on that. Because here's what will happen. If you commit to doing that in the next three years, here's what that looks like. Let's say there's 350 people in this room. There's probably more than that, but we'll work off that number. By next year, that means there's 700 people who are disciple makers. By the following year, 1,400 and then 2,800. That's how simple it is. But when we look at those numbers, those aren't just numbers. Those are people who will now understand they have a heavenly home. They will be able to see that picture of eternity of at home together, have those shared courtyards all under the heading of Father, Father God, simply by everyone discipling one every year. It's not complicated. Beyond that, as we really look at Scripture, it is the command of Christ, who says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, the command to make disciples. So after filling out this card, what will happen is you'll receive a, an email with some training videos. We won't even have you come to a training. We want to make it simple. So we'll uh, give you videos that you can watch and look at, and we would simply send you a name of someone that says, hey, this person's made a decision. Could you walk with them and do life with them that they might know who Jesus is? So Rob and Vanjie, they're going to come, and they're going to begin to play this morning. And as they do that, Pastor Jennifer is going to come, and she's just going to put some offering buckets up on the front here. Because what I'm going to challenge you to do is if you fill that out, I'd like you to come and bring that to the front this morning to say, Jesus, I give this to you. I put this on your altar and I trust that you will help me to become a disciple maker. If you're already a part of this program, we've got many that are already plugged into it. I challenge you to re-up. This is your chance to re-enlist, to be in part of Multiply Discipleship, to say, I am still committed to making disciples. So even if you're already a part, I encourage you, fill out that card anyway so we can drop it anew in those buckets this morning. So Robin Vanjie, as they play, I'm going to invite you to stand. Go ahead and stand this morning. If you've got that card filled out, as they begin to play, you simply can come to the front and drop that in one of the buckets up here. I just want to provide opportunity for you to know Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. Maybe, maybe up to this point, you haven't experienced the way to the Father's house. You don't know Jesus as the truth. You don't know him. You have not surrendered your life to him. But today you have that in compulsion, that desire to say, God, I know you're speaking to me. I want to follow you with all of my heart and my soul and my strength. I'm going to invite every head to be bowed here this morning. And if that's you today, you'd say, yes, I want to follow Jesus for a lifetime. I just encourage you, raise your hand. We'll pray with you. I want to get you a Bible. And as you saw here this morning, we want to match you up with somebody to, to walk with you and journey with Jesus for a lifetime. If that's you here today, simply raise your hand. We'll match you up. We'll get you a Bible and pray with you before you go today. We're going to dismiss you in a moment, and as we do, I know people will go out to the back, but if you want to make that decision to follow Christ, I encourage you to come to the front. Pastor Jennifer's right up here on the, on the right. You can simply come to the front, meet with her. She'll pray with you and be able to give you a Bible and show you where to go from here as we follow Jesus. 
before we go, I want to provide an opportunity for you as Rob and Vanjie have been a blessing to the church. In turn, I'd love for us to be a blessing to them. So I'm actually going to invite you to be seated this morning and invite the floor host to come. And you'll give opportunity to, to pour into their ministry as they're going to go back to Milwaukee, a part of this church plant. I just encourage you to be a part of what God is doing there. Our call is to make disciples, and those disciples come together in churches. And so I just encourage you to bless Rob and Vanjie. You can simply, uh, as you've got that offering envelope on there, there's a spot. There's spots that are open. You can just write Rob on there or music guests, whatever you can remember. So if you write that on your envelope, that'll make sure that it goes to the right individuals this morning. Everything that you give here will go right to the church uh, that Rob and Vanjie lead. Let me pray over the offering this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for water baptism, Lord, as we got to watch physically people going down in the water as a part of a funeral service, their, their death to their old life, but Lord, coming up in resurrection and their new life in you. God, we thank you for what you're doing in Evan's life and Lori's life. I pray that they would live out their new life in you boldly in your name. Jesus, we pray that as we go from this place, that we would be life, that we would show people the way, Lord, that we would speak truth. And God, I, I pray that as we give our gifts this morning to bless Rob and Vanjie and, and Garden City Church, I pray, Jesus, that you would bless their efforts there to expand your kingdom, to grow the kingdom of God in Milwaukee. Bless every giver, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Take us on a journey of love. Take us on a journey of love. Take us on a journey of love. We want to know your heart, God. Take us on a journey of love. Take us on a journey of love. Take us on a journey of love. We want to know. have CDs in the back if you'd like to take them home with you to be able to continue in worship. I even think that song might be on there. Is it on there, Vanjie? I thought so. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he show you his mercy and fill you with his peace. Go with God this morning.